Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. As regular listeners know, in addition to The Randy Report blog, I write for instinctmagazine.com almost every day. Some six months ago, Corey Andrew joined the writing team at Instinct, and we instantly clicked. In addition to the terrific writing Corey contributes to Instinct, he also has an international music career as an accomplished singer-songwriter and producer, with songs that have been streamed over a million times. Plus, we have many common interests and friends having arrived in New York City at around the same time in the late 1980s. So our perspective on many topics jive with each other. When I asked Corey to join me for a chat for the podcast, I said, I'm going to hit record and we'll just go from there. Along the way, we touch on how Corey approaches writing, what he brings to his red carpet interviews, his adventures in covering World Pride in New York City this year, how music took his talents around the world, plus we chat on our connections to a certain famous Australian and an Emmy-nominated actor from the cast of Pose. Before the chat, I'll play one of his songs so you can get to know him a bit, at least musically. This song has been streamed more than a million times online and pretty much reflects not only his musical talent, but his upbeat personality. Take a listen to Rising Sun, and then we'll chat with Corey Andrew.
Corey Andrew, what are you doing? Hey there, Randy. I am just here, ready to talk to you. That's All it. All right. Listen, you are one of my favorite people as an instant colleague. I have to say, you you joined us. How, when, how long has it been? Because I'm so used to being uh, you being a part of my digital life at this point. When did you join <laughs> my instant? My digital brother. Yes. So I, I think my first piece appeared February. So I think I was around January or February, something like that. So we're, no, we're, we're going past the seven months, I guess. I have to say, I love the whole instinct experience because the fact of the matter is what some people may not know, I'm not speaking out of turn, is as writers, the bulk of us, there are like eight or nine of us, including our editor, Adam, bulk of us have not ever met face-to-face. I think you've met Ryan, I've met David, but we all kind of gather in a private Facebook chat so that people can say, oh, I'm covering this, oh, I'm covering that. But other than that, we're colleagues, but we have never met face-to-face. We don't really know each other except the clues we kind of give each other in messages in this group text, which is <laughs> right. an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Have you, in your yeah. work elsewhere, have you found like a digital environment like that before? Well, you know, what's pretty funny is quite honestly, that is pretty standard today because a lot of the publications are no longer really printing. I mean, a lot of the, the, the LGBT big ones that we all kind of used to get on newsstands, I think most of us are now, uh, are now online. So I think that sort of dynamic where you have writers who are, remote all around the country, maybe even out of the country. I think that's just pretty common now as a digital platform to have your editorial meetings that way. And so it's probably not that unique. I think what makes it unique for us, as you said, is that we are very, I think we're all trying to kind of bring these unique perspectives to instinct, which I think that way there's something for everyone. And that's, I think, the, the, the dynamic that I think is most interesting. What I love is if the readers are paying attention to our bylines, you really do get a sense of who someone is. For instance, if you're reading one of Mickey's pieces, you're getting a lot of pop culture through the West Hollywood lens. If you're reading one of Ryan's pieces, you're you're getting RuPaul's Drag Race and a lot of pop <laughs> right. culture there yeah. and celebrity gossip. If you're reading Corey, you're getting some fabulous political insight and I love that you do not hold back you share your opinion which in my opinion is very informed and needs to be heard because a lot of people on the internet or where you'll read will be just spouting off but you bring such an informed life to what you're writing and it's so passionate and God knows I love a passionate person who is not afraid to raise his hand and say pick me pick me because I know the answer (laughs) well I'm that guy believe me yes (laughs) And, you know, I think what I've accomplished or what I try to accomplish when I write pieces, and they're usually a, an extension of conversations that I just had, uh, whether it be in person or in Facebook or, or on Facebook or something, the way you present your best uh, argument in those debates is to be informed. Mm-hmm. So literally, I will make sure in most cases anyway that I have time to really bring some stats and you know data to what I'm saying from reputable sources. You know, you'll be arguing or debating with someone and they like will like, you know, send you a wiki link to support their <laughs> their <laughs> hypothesis. And I'm like, "Honey, Wikipedia is not a, you know, a source unless of course their source is listed in that wiki article that then you can then cite." But otherwise, you know, I try to make sure I come from a place of knowing because that's the only way you really are going to be persuasive. And sadly today, though, having the facts, honey, don't even really stop people from coming for you. No. <laughs> you know, I'm arguing with people. I'm like, well, here's the truth. And they're like, well, whatever. And it was like block you. I'm like, OK, that's not really a healthy debate. Even if you reference a Fox News 
link sometimes because I don't argue politics or news anything. I just present the facts. That's really important to me. Often when I'm talking to someone who may have an opposing opinion, I'm like, well, it was on foxnews.com, so I mean, what do you <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, that's the best. Totally given people that same thing. You know, I'm, I'm, if I'm debating with conservatives and I know that they are big Fox followers, every now and then I will be like, well, this was on Fox last night on Hannity, so I'm not sure what you're, what you're arguing with me for because <laughs> – Yo, people said it, boo. Yo, people right. said it. So also, it's a it's a tricky thing with politics, but I'm just learning now that there are some people who I genuinely love and find wonderful as people, and um, politics and political decisions are driven by very different things for different people. So, you know, for example, I know there are people who voted for Trump in 2016 because for whatever reason, fiscally, they thought he was going to make a difference in their lives. And I don't hold them I don't hold that against them. But if I come to 2019, for example, with Trump's ideology and what we know about him now, my conflict is for people supporting him now. That is a very distinct difference from how I approach. That's the place I'm trying to balance now with people who I who I know maybe voted for him initially and and you know and being a part of my life now, like kind of how they stand on those social issues. That's kind of the the conflict. We're friends on Facebook, and I follow your conversations because you do not hold back. And you have a lively chat commentating thing going on on your Facebook alone. <laughs> yeah. Follow Corey at Corey Andrew, just Corey yeah. Andrew, lowercase, no, S. no space, no S. There is no, there's not Corey Andrews. We got the Corey Andrew. But I also want to talk about your music because before we got into all this writing and stuff and everything, one of the first <laughs> things we learned about each other is you and I know – a lot of the same people because we've – okay, I've been around longer, but you've been around a bit. About um, five minutes. <laughs> in, um, <laughs> in New York City, and we know a lot of the same people in theater and entertainment and everything. Yeah, and you right. have a, a big career in music as a songwriter and as a singer and a producer, and you've had songs on the Billboard charts. You have all of this music going on, which I love. Thank you. Thank you. Songs like Rising Sun. That was my biggest one. Yay, there it is. Hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a song that a, a DJ producer, a young man reached out to me from Germany, said, hey, I really love your voice and I have an idea for a song. And it was kind of right on the heels of uh, the big uh, Wake Me Up song that had come out. And so it had a similar vibe. So we kind of rode that kind of wave with it. And it was my biggest, I guess, stream song ever on SoundCloud. I think we hit like a million streams like within maybe, gosh, three months. Wow. And I was like, what? And that's like a really big deal because, you know, it's that's a lot of people oh, listening. I'm looking at you at Spotify. You can follow Corey on Spotify at Corey Andrew. And yep. you like you have almost 600,000 listens there alone on just one version of Rising Sun. There's yeah. there's another 300,000 on a remix. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And not only do you sing, but you have written and you've produced. Yes. Um, well, it's funny, too, because I have uh, written for uh, a a winner of The Voice Belgium. So The Voice is like, you know, franchised all around the world. And one of the big winners from Belgium, she's like one of the biggest pop stars in that country named Natalia. And she's on Universal uh, Universal Records. And some of my uh, songwriting colleagues in Italy, they worked on her album and they reached out to me to co-write a song on her album called Overdrive on Universal a couple of years ago. And the album went gold. So I was part of a, you know, a gold record writing team. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like so amazing. You know, people don't realize, I want artists, especially musical artists to realize that there's a whole career opportunity waiting for you outside of America. I, Lord knows 
I try here. I mean, look, Andre Talley himself arranged a meeting for me with a record label because he liked my music so much and it still didn't pan out. Right. So I was like, you know what? America is one place, but a majority of my success has been overseas. And at the time, the currency exchange rate was even more fierce for that. So I was like, <laughs> so yes. my money was even my money was even more cute because I was converting those dollars to euros. <laughs> So, you know, I just thought I'm going to focus where people want me. And it happened to be Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Brazil. Got some great stuff going on. I'm some people in Brazil. So that was my lesson. Go where the people want you and have a career where um, where it happens. A lot of people think, oh, they only know what they know in America. You know, it's always interesting to me how – and I don't say this in an ugly way. People who haven't traveled outside of the United States, they know that there's a big world out there. But until you experience it – you don't realize how different and fabulous everything can be around the world. And different is good to me. I like some spice in my life. I yeah. like different. I like all the kind of flavors that humanity can bring. And you go to Europe. People have different takes on things. You go to Australia. A lot of people think, oh, if you don't do something in, in the United States, oh, it's not success or something. But I want to point out, I always remember an interview by the Backstreet Boys and 98 Degrees and in sync, all three of them said the same thing because they all broke in Europe. And yeah, I, I, back in Germany or something. Yes, like in Germany, like, exactly. Ninety-three, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and I remember there was a specific interview where one of them said, "You know, we would be performing to a screaming full crowd in an arena in Germany. We would get on a plane, we would come back to the United States. We hadn't broken here yet, and no one knew who we were. We had this huge success over there." that, that mm -hmm. is real, and then they'd come back here, and, and you know, eventually they broke. And so it just goes to show that you can start in another country. Your success can be in Germany, it can be in Italy, it can be in France, and then it can cross the Atlantic and be oh, uh, yeah. a big success here too. So it just goes to show you that there's all these different ways of getting to Oz. There's not just one road. <laughs> no, it's so funny, and I love that you brought that up because in a, in a previous relationship, you know, in my 20s, my partner at the time was a pharmaceutical executive or something or a consultant, and he had to fly to Germany a lot. And he had to go to this area of Germany called Ludwigshafen or something, I think it was called. And one day, uh, and I was like at the time, maybe 23, he was a couple, a few years older. I remember him calling me going, have you ever heard of this group called the Backstreet Boys? Because apparently he was staying at their hotel. Ah. Or it might have been insane, one of those groups. He was staying at the same hotel. Um, and he said, I cannot get out of the hotel. There are like 100,000 screaming girls every time we leave. And they, we can't, like, they had to call the police. And I'm like, no, I've never heard of them. And they were like rock stars in like Ludwigshafen. So it's kind of funny. And even when I got to Paris, I remember the first time in Europe for me was um, maybe right on the heels of Madonna doing her uh, big music album. That was massive here. And the Tower Records in Paris, when I got there, Madonna had like a little small end cap of her CD. Wow. That was huge, Erica. And the whole store, though, Anastasia was huge on 50-foot banners. It was Anastasia was the hottest thing. I love it. You know, and Madonna had like a little end cap. Like she might as well have been Debbie Gibson. No shake Debbie, but right. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's like, you know, Debbie, don't hate me, girl. I just, I'm, you know, I'm making a little comparison. You know, it was like kind of a weird moment. I agree with you. People have to know that there's a world outside of America. I think bringing it back to xenophobia, that's a part of people have to kind of get past that. Like there's a big world. So go see it. 
I have to say I always am astounded that people – even if they haven't been to a different country or something, and I know it costs money to do that, but just to encounter a different culture, a different way that people are, the way they view things, we can kind of get fed some things here, and this is getting into a little bit of politics, but we can get fed a narrative here that may not actually be accurate. It may not right. be the truth because you know someone will, will tell us, oh, we are more respected now than ever, or we are less respected now than ever in the world. We're more, there we're less, we're this, we're that. And that may just be hyperbole. And mm -hmm. maybe, yeah. maybe we should just go look for ourselves and explore what we think. Right. I mean, and listen to the people who are actually in those countries tell you directly. I mean, you know, you can't get a better, and this is, again, you know, I'm not going to turn this into a, an anti-Trump conversation, but you cannot, if you want to see what people in France really think of him, for example, you will point to that news clip when that Fox News anchor was in the bar and <laughs> yep, there you go. the entire bar started to chant, you know what? So that's just a, that was a raw, random moment of strangers from a foreign country telling the world what they thought about something and it was real and in real time so yeah i mean you know we have to go outside the country and or at least be aware that outside the country people may have a whole other perspective so that's the beauty of i think the world right we all don't think alike and just if we can coexist that's the idea you know i never i never get angry with people for having an opinion but when people get angry at me for having one i'm like no 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 we're talking we're sharing <laughs> right, this right. is how we do this see this is how we learn and everything speaking of learn one of the first things cuz i want to stay on you cuz i just think you're fabulous so oh, early on as you joined Instinct, it was it was right near the GLAAD Media Awards in New York because, as most people may know, there's a presentation in L.A. and there's a presentation in New York. They kind of split up their awards, and the GLAAD Media Awards honors excellence in showing all sides of LGBTQ people in television, media, film. Right. right. At Instinct, we we were going to have coverage, and you were credentialed for the red carpet, and you were going to go do interviews, and then. You show up. You are sending us pictures, and you first Honey. of all, you dressed to pr impress. You are oh, looking so you. cute and thank just you. all so stylish. And I think you even had like celebrities telling you how good you look. Oh my gosh, what a dream that was for like India Moore. <laughs> yes. India Moore from Pose. Like the first thing India does as she walks up to me, and I have it on video, thank God. She's like, <laughs> "Oh my God, I love your hair." I was like, "What?" And, oh, gosh, so many wonderful compliments and actors who were just, you know, they were – it was just – it was surreal for them to give me that warm welcome, like Bevy, Bevy Smith and, oh, gosh, so many great people. Yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. So I showed up with my camera. You, you my showed video. up with your camera. So I have to explain to, to the listeners, you know, I've done a little bit of red carpet stuff. It's not my milieu. I got to meet Rita Moreno earlier this year at the Nevada Ballet Theater's uh, Woman of oh, the Year I event. We were like in the private VIP thing before the whole event, and people were taking pictures with Rita, and I wanted to chat with her, so I pulled out my phone, and I recorded like a few questions. I was hoping to have five minutes. I got three, so I got cut off. It is not my milieu, totally not at all. Right, I right. bow to the Corey. <laughs> I have to tell you, though, so for people who don't know, like when you're doing red carpet, though, you never see us. And a lot of times the reporter isn't necessarily dressed. They may not be all that prepared. Maybe they're a freelancer and they just have their phone and they're just pointing it at the person and they record this and they right. can deal with it later. Corey Andrews shows up looking all <laughs> kinds of cute and you take your 
big ass fabulous camera <laughs> on a tripod yeah, and yeah. you have your microphone that says instinct on it and i think we were in the yeah, chat room we saw you oh yes we were like oh he ain't playing no, I was not playing. Well, you know, it's so funny because, you know, we get these credentials to get into these events. And like you said, it's typically for us to just capture the content and then come back and then transpose it into a written article. My background is not just you know, as a performer, but also, you know, I have a degree in ba um, a bachelor's degree in media arts, which en encompasses video, film and everything. So, you know, I went to school to learn videography and I invested a lot in my own personal equipment. So I'm like, honey, the GLAAD Awards, Madonna was being honored. OK, like. I mean, I mean, everybody and their mama was going to be there. So that was like a potential once in a lifetime opportunity. And what's really fun about it is that my, who well, I have to give him a shout out, my publicist, Sean Saunders, he is the one who kind of really has made a lot of things happen for me. And he, because he had friends, he knew JR, for example, from Instinct Magazine. So he told JR about me and that's how I have gotten on, on the radar. You know, when I got the credentials to get to the uh, red carpet for GLAAD, I was like, I need a camera operator. So my publicist, who's like never done it, he's like, he rolled his sleeves up, he went with me and, you know, mm -hmm. he's like actually operating the camera, holding it, because, you know, he's all in, like, let's make Corey Andrew happen. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's really wonderful. I met uh, Yuval David, I don't know if you know Yuval David, but mm -hmm. he's uh, an amazing actor. He was on Madam Secretary. So many great people on the red carpet. So I bump into Yuval now and it's like, we're friends. They're like, he's like, hey, Corey Andrew. People are like, you know Yuval David? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but it's like in the red carpet moment, you know? I should add, you were covering the massive World Pride, New York City Pride Parade this year, yeah. the March. And I'm waiting for pictures from Corey to come back of the parade, blah, blah, blah. No, Corey is on <laughs> the float. Corey, and you're taking pictures with my longtime friend, Brian Batt who I knew yeah. from long days gone by in the early 90s when we were both on Broadway. Brian was in, not, not that this is about me, but Brian, when I was doing my first Broadway show, Hello, Dolly! at the Lent Fontaine, Brian was in Sunset Boulevard with Betty Buckley, who was starring at the time. Wow. And he was covering Joe Gillis, and he was going on, and everyone was talking about how fabulous Brian was. And he was. He's, Brian's always mm -hmm. been just fantastic. And then, of course, as you mentioned when you did your post about the parade, is Brian went on to big success with Mad Men. But I love that I'm looking at these pictures, and oh, no, Corey's not on the sidewalk taking pictures of no, parade. No, ma'am. He is the parade. <laughs> Johnny, I am the parade, damn it. <laughs> it yeah. was awesome. Well, you know, it's, I have to say, and I have to shout out, I give a wonderful shout out as well to the uh, the NOT MC is the name of the group, but it's the um, New Orleans Tourism Management Corporation. And so they were a partner in World Pride, and they had one of the biggest float participations because they had like a double-decker, a riverboat-themed float, you know, based on the whole New Orleans, Mississippi riverboat thing. And it was a double-decker, so I was on top, and that's where Brian uh, was as well. He was emceeing from the uh, top of it with a microphone, and, you know, he invited me to emcee with him. I'm like, uh, I'm going to leave you to that. I'm just going to be up there <laughs> hanging see, out. everybody and, sees know. it. They see it in yeah, you. They know, oh, we know who you are. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to let you do this, boo. I'm going I'm to step over here. But it was a wonderful opportunity because they were a partner in the parade, and they also did a lot of uh, co-branded events that week in New York City, like a, a fabulous brunch they did at the Moxie Hotel, and they invited me out to that as well. So I've only been to New Orleans once, but it was an amazing time. I've never forgotten it. So for me to be a part of their representation uh, in World Pride and representing Instinct Magazine and getting content, it was just I mean, gosh, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And they invited my partner, Joe, along. They said, well, you know, please 
bring your partner who I've been with for 20 years. So I was like, what a, an amazing world pride opportunity, right? Yeah. So we, and it was a blast. We had a lot of fun. It was awesome. I love that you got to experience that. I did not. I'm here in Las Vegas. I will say for the listeners, I did have an experience though with World Pride because a friend of mine who runs theoutfront.com, Larry File, reached out to me and he's based in New York. And mm -hmm. he said, are you going to be covering World Pine? I said, well, I'm not there. And we have Instinct writers that are going to be doing that. So, you know, I'll pick up things from uh, Instagram. And he said, well, why don't you get the Randy Report credentialed and I'll cover it for you as your correspondent. So right? the Randy Report has a correspondent. I felt like big time. So I have Look to tell you, honey. I was like, <laughs> and, you know, I have to tell you, Corey, I thought, okay, so he sends me the link where you have to apply for credentials from. Yeah, yeah. and everybody and their mom was trying to get those Everybody, especially like Pride Island, you know, the big cut, because everyone wants to get in free and see Madonna <laughs> and see, you know, everybody. Right. So I go to the link and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm the Randy Report. Are they going to even credential me? I don't know. And when you go to the credential page, like you have to check the events that you're interested in. So I just checked mm -hmm. everything. I'm like, Larry, what, what, <laughs> yep. what do you want to do? So I'm like checking yeah. like eight things. Well, they come back and credential us for seven events. My gosh. The Randy Report got credentialed. So Larry is out there at the opening ceremonies. He's at the march. He's at the closing ceremonies. He, he sent back articles written, and he took all these pictures, and I posted it. was It was great fun That's for me to kind of do the parade through that and to see your mm -hmm. things and see – everything through through Larry's writing and everything, but... Well, sure, because you have a lot of um, listeners to your podcast, so, you know, that's a lot of people who are not in New York, and so you were able to bring that to your to your listeners, and that's, the, that's you know, with Instinct as well, the same thing, you know, the In Instinct has so many readers monthly and their Facebook page and all, but a lot of them are from all over the world, and so, you know, for you and I to be able to bring just some real moments from Pride and in New York City, which was the epicenter of it, what I loved was so many of the pictures that you took showing people on the sidewalks following the parade and everything. So many different kinds of people. The diversity, again, this is about flavor and spice for me. And to seeing so many different people. And I think the organizers said there were over 4 million people that yeah. took part over those four mm -hmm. or five days. Yeah. How incredible. I was going to a one of the cocktail brunch events, I think, that I – yeah, the one that was for the NO, the NOTMC. And um, I stopped for a second to use my phone on a corner like near Times Square or something. And uh, I feel some guy tap me on the shoulder. I'm like, okay, this is, please don't be a weird New York moment. I don't know what, who is it, who this is. So I turn around and it's the owner of like, what's probably like my favorite spot in Fort Lauderdale, which is the owner of the Grand Resort and Spa, Casey. I had a Grand Resort backpack on. Like, you know, when you get to the hotel, they do like a little beach yes. bag. And so he was like so happy to see like I guess someone like kind of marketing his his hotel <laughs> on, on the streets randomly. Times and Square. He tapped me. I was like, yeah, in Times Square. And he turns around and he had his wheelie bag. He had just gotten to the city because you know New York was just buzzing with people. And I was like, Casey, oh my god, you know. So it was just kind of funny that it was like every block. I mean, there was probably about ten times more people if you can imagine than there would have been the week prior. It was a it was a really interesting week, and everyone got along. The parade route itself, I mean, when you're on the float looking out, you can see way down yeah. all the streets, miles and miles of people lined those streets. It was – I've never seen anything like that before. It was incredible. I got a report that 
the step-off was at noon, and I think the estimate was that the last group in the march crossed the finish line, if you will, like at midnight or a little after that. So the, yeah, I, <laughs> I, can yeah. you just imagine? I yeah. Wow. Well, it's true. You know what? And it's so funny about that. There were lots of jokes uh, the next morning. Like uh, DJ Corey Craig had a really funny one. He was like, it was like 830 in the morning. He's like, well, the last float just left. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the sun was up. But the truth of the matter is, so uh, the call time for us to arrive on the float was, I think, about one or so we were supposed to get there. I, I think it was one or 12. I don't remember the time. But, you know, we get there and everyone starts to trickle in and everything. And we were going to be directly followed by, I think we were in front of the um, yeah, Netflix float that had the Queer Eye guys on. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, the float that was like directly in back of ours. And so we didn't see them for a while. So we're like, well, we're not leaving anytime soon because the Queer Eye guys aren't even here yet. So literally one hour went by, two hours went by, three hours went by. And we were still on our little block where the parade was already going, but we were at this point literally maybe three, four, five hours behind from when we were supposed to start. So I think we finally joined the procession. They finally opened up the police barricade to let us exit onto the into the parade route. It was almost like 5.30 p.m. and we had gotten there like at one. Oh my gosh. Can't say enough about it. It was an, it was an amazing time, a magical moment for New York, and especially from someone like who, who's been going to gay prides um, in New York in general for years. That, there's nothing like this one. What's cool about it is if, if you've only attended, let's say, and I'm picking at random, Las Vegas Pride or Cleveland Pride or Houston Pride or something like that, which are all great, whatever. You know, it's interesting here in Las Vegas, we have to do Pride in October because it's so hot. Right, right. We, <laughs> we cannot have our parade. And even in October, we do our parade at night on a Friday night. Mm. And because we need the cool because it's so hot. If if you've been to Portland Pride or Houston Pride or Cleveland Pride or something, which are great to see this many people in New York City and to understand the vast, huge numbers of people that took part is just incredible. And it really gives you a bigger sense of the definition of the word pride, that people are there and taking part, and this was important to be a part of this thing. As you know, visibility is such a crucial thing for the LGBTQ movement because the more visible we are and the more people see us, the more acceptance we find. And so just yes. to see these huge numbers is just incredible. Well, you know, you and I have also spoken to about um, another person who we know in common with the, the fabulous Mr. Billy Porter. Yes. It's funny because the cast of Pose, they were uh, the grand marshals of the parade. Um, and so I really, you know, I mean, there's already a great bit of um, of a movement, of course, with our friends and allies in the world who really love us. But I think Pose and Billy specifically, but that whole cast, um, I think, you know, when I saw the reception that they received, you know, they, they weren't even – they didn't stay on a float. Like they actually got off and they were walking, you know, through the crowd and they were walking over to the barricade and people were reaching out to touch them and and hug them in India. And, you know, they, that representation means so much and it changed so much of the game for how the public maybe perceives LGBTQ people. And so I think to see that representation in the parade too was really spectacular. I can't say enough about how wonderful that show has been. And I think helping the modern pop culture acceptance of, of who we are as a community, you know, as with a human story that kind of shows that we're all not that different, really. Right. We just want love. We want acceptance. Don't kill me. Pretty simple stuff. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
<laughs> well, it's no, so true. It, it yeah. really is. And, you know, I saw just this week after Billy got his nomination, his historic okay. Emmy Ooh. Award nomination for Honey, lead actor fire. in a drama, the, yeah. the, the first out black man to ever be nominated for mm-hmm. a lead actor in a drama series for the Emmy Awards. And yeah. he was speaking with the rap and he said, and I thought this is very interesting because I talk to people a lot about this aspect because when people talk about gay rights and everything, and over the years, it's, it's always been about acceptance and blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of a general thing. When I find that there's some kind of insider discrimination within the LGBTQ community where maybe someone doesn't feel comfortable around this or that, you know, there, there is a faction of the gay community and I don't choose one or the other, but there's a faction of the gay community that wants everyone to be perceived as, for lack of better language, quote unquote, normal, like everyone mm-hmm. else. Right. I don't know that I want to be like everybody else, but exactly. I'm, I'm good with me. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's interesting because for a lot of the gay rights movement, it has, it has been about acceptance and saying, see, we're just like you. And I think we've kind of turned a corner because now what we're trying to say is, what we need to do is embrace how different we all really are. And one of those aspects that I think has been ignored up till now and poses brought into such focus is the transgender community. And Billy gave an uh, interview with The Wrap this week, and he, he said himself his own exposure and knowledge of the transgender community has been limited, and he admits that in doing Pose, he's become much more aware of what they've contributed to the community, how they've been present with the community all of these decades and hundreds of years. You know, transgender people have been right. around forever. This isn't a oh, new thing. Yeah. You know, no, pe- no, people like to act like, oh, this, the, all these newfangled things the gays come up with. You know, transgender people <laughs> have existed throughout all of history. But oh, we're learning, course. and we're all expanding our minds. And I freely admit, until I started writing about transgender issues some years ago, I was probably a little bit of ahead of the curve because of what I do for a living as a writer. But it is interesting that Pose has brought this thing forward, and it really does encourage us to all understand that even if you're gay, and I've, I've met gay people who say, well, you know, the, the trans thing isn't my thing. And I'm like, well, here's the problem with that, not to right, get in my soapbox. Right. And you know where I'm going <laughs> to go with this. But when you say, as maybe a heavy set gay man, that the trans thing isn't your thing, but you have a problem with the fact that you won't be accepted because maybe you're heavy set, or maybe you're yeah. an older gay, or exactly. maybe you're a this gay, or maybe you're a lesbian, or maybe you're bisexual. Bisexuals don't get treated. You know what? Here's the here's the clue, everyone. We all need to understand we're all different. Hello, flavor spice. That's the thing Randy mm-hmm. likes, and we need to embrace that because that's the cool thing about us all. And the th- great thing about pose is, it is all being treated so. I don't want to use the word casual or normal. I want to say matter-of-factly, that the people are just who they are. Oh, yes, yes. And you know what's so funny is a lot of times um, watching that show, if you if you were not a part of that world or if you've never seen Paris is Burning, for example, as many people had not. And, you know, we, you and I also spoke about, you know, I was in New York in the 80s and I was a teenager. I was on those piers hanging out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that you know, I first discovered voguing before Madonna did the song, you know, at tracks, like at age 17. So, I mean, that was my world, you know, so I was really looking for that to be authentic and not be messy and phony. And it, and it's completely not really, really down to earth. And I mean, down to the reality of how that was depicted. But what's so funny is a lot of the over the top things in that show, people think it's a Hollywood script, but no, you know, we know the story of Dorian Corey, where there was actually when Dorian Corey died, they were, they found a mummy in a suitcase. 
yep. in his closet, right? Yes. So it's like, yes. that's a real thing. And, you know, well, if you look at the fact that, you know, I was watching someone said, oh, well, that just shows you like, you know, um, hookers or whoever they are, you know, they, they killed the John. I'm like, well, I'm not going to get into that, but there's a lot of hookers killed by John too. Yes, so it's not like, you. I'm just going to put that out there. Like maybe, you know, okay, she took one for the team, you know, to balance the scale a little bit, but you know, but those stories are out there and they're real, you know, the, the, the way that, um, gosh, the Angelica Ross ending to that character of yeah, candy, candy just, it just killed me. I'm, I'm getting tears in my eyes just thinking about how beautifully that they dealt with that whole scene. But you know, that's the Venus extravaganza story. Like that's yeah. really real. So people don't really realize sometimes that these are not some made up scripts that are kind of just kind of hyperbole and making up stories about the trans community. These are the things they endured. And so it's good to know those stories are being presented respectfully. And just well done, Mr. Ryan. Yes. You know, yes. I mean, Ryan Murphy, well done, Ryan Murphy, just and that whole cast. And one other thing about the Billy Porter thing, I remember in New York, how some of the similar people we worked with in music and how, you know, hearing people tell him not to be so overtly gay that was always a thing you know we were being told as we're trying to be pop stars like we were too feminine or not to be so gay and isn't it ironic (laughs) that and here we are here we are and what he just got like a star on the walk of fame and an emmy nomination and you know why because he's so gay and talented but he doesn't have to suppress that so i just think it's just a fascinating observation in general what that show has done I, I love it all. I love what they're doing. It's awesome. I've known Billy since, like, I think 89, 90, somewhere in there. I remember being in the village at one point. I was out with some friends. We were in a piano bar. Billy walked in, and we said, oh, Billy, would you sing us, oh, child, I don't know if I'm warmed up, uh, unexpected song in G. He turned, <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, my God. He, he I mean, it was a Shirley so MacLaine moment. The Star Search thing happened. Everything happened, and he gets his record deal. And so when he talks about these things in interviews now, it's almost interesting to me. Some people may be reading these things that don't know his history thinking, oh, well, he's just kind of blowing things out of proportion. And But it really was all of those things that you were just talking about. Don't be so gay. Don't be this. I mean, if you go back, you can find on YouTube his, like, first one or two music videos and he was oh yeah with a girl and with a girl like very, and, yeah <laughs> and, very wrong and weird yes, and uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. yeah and i remember right before kinky boots happened it was the summer before and i was choreographing sweet charity at a regional theater in oklahoma and they brought billy in to be big daddy brubeck who does rhythm of life and i remember them saying uh, how would you feel if we got billy porter i'm like you get billy porter down here and yeah. I'll be happy to have it. So he comes and he has one number, one scene, and I've never worked so hard on a number in my life because I just we'd been friends for so long. I wanted him to feel that he was safe, that I'm I, I got you covered, and he was yeah. all into the Fosse thing, and he brought his oh, own gosh. stuff. And, but I interviewed one him. One of the be- great numbers too. That's such a that's one of my favorite in the film. It's so amazing. Can I tell you? He just killed it killed it and i remember we rehearsed that number and i i basically said it mainly on the dancers then i brought him in and billy porter does not warm himself into a number billy porter came prepared and so mm-hmm. he comes in and he is singing this number <laughs> and you know right after the number there's like a a sermon that big daddy gives oh, and yeah, he is course. giving you just church. Southern Baptist church. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and yeah. he's just. That's his wheelhouse, that role. I can imagine. Oh, I'm, my... I'm almost, I'm bummed out I never got to see him do it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Amazing. And cast 
who kind of knew who Billy, this is, this was years ago. And, and these are all kids who are young in Oklahoma city. And I'm like, kids, he don't play. He don't give the ball back. So don't give it to him. When you yeah. play ball with Billy Porter. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be prepared to either be prepared or, or, you know, you're going to mm -hmm. be showed up. I mean, it's funny. I have a really interesting story about him too, which is so when we were both in the nineties, like in New York doing a music thing and, you know, he had, like you said, such a great success with that or such Star a great Search. kickoff yeah. with the Star Search and all that. But I was, um, in a social circle that somehow he and I ended up at a party at Denise Rich's house. I, and I, I don't know if Bette Midler was there. I don't remember, but apparently it was right after the, right uh, after the first Wives Club had come out. Mm -hmm. And he had the single, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Billy Love is the on the way. Club. Love is on the way. I don't know why. I think for some reason Bette Midler told the story or either it was Denise and Bette was there. I don't know. But we learned in that moment that that song was actually supposed to be a Bette Midler song for the movie. Oh, and Bet was supposed to do it. That was going to be her ballad for Love Is In A Way. Because, you know, uh, Bet was still coming off of her whole big resurgence sure. with all her big songs and stuff. So it was like a perfect vehicle with the hit song to the theme of the movie. So but Billy did the demo for Denise. Then the, the demo went to Bette Midler. And, you know, what do you think? And Bette Midler was like, well, honey, I mean, I can't do what he did. <laughs> so, I mean, she was like, honey, well, he's going to sing this. I'm not messing with that song now, you know. And literally, uh, that's how Billy got that song. It became, you know, the theme song, and it got uh, nominated for an Oscar, I think, yeah, or something. Yeah. It, it got like a lot of attention. Yeah, yes. it was pretty. Uh, and then I also, and I'm not sure how true it is, and when I see him, I have to ask him, or maybe we can, like, put this request out and have him answer it. But some producer I um, worked with who also worked with him said to me, well, you know he does all of Celine Dion's demos. Oh. And I was like, what? So hmm. apparently, at some point, Celine Dion was such a fan of his, this is before he got famous, hmm. that she knew that if he could kill it on a demo, then she would record it. So when she was like too busy or whatever, the, the, the rumor apparently was that somebody wanted to approach Celine about doing a song, she would let it, give it to Billy, and if he does the demo and kills it, then, you could, then I'll do it. Oh. He was like a, like a food taster. Wow. Wow. You know, this is back in the day. So I'm not sure how true that is, but I, I've heard that within that same circle of, you know, that's the kind of elevation he had that people, you know, felt like he was that talented that they, you know, behind the scenes. So all this overnight success people think happens. It's a long time coming sometimes for people. Wow. You know, along the same lines of, uh, of demos, I think I just heard that Shoshana Bean fierceness that she is Shoshana recorded the demo for this is me mm. from the greatest showman. Cause she knew the songwriters and they needed to do a demo. Obviously, you know, it became a big, huge hit song from the greatest showman with Hugh Jackman and Kiala settle has just killed it. And, but it's always interesting to know that New York based people that you may not think are the go-to people for the recording industry. Cause a lot of people I think think, the recording industry is centered in L.A., but so many of the songwriters in New York, they go to the, their go-to person in New York, and mm -hmm. they need a demo. And it's just always interesting to me how many New York singers are in the mixes. They're mm -hmm. not the artist, but maybe sometimes those demos, like, hello, that worked out for Billy. The demo was just so good, we're not going to touch that. Oh, I'm not – yeah, uh, you do oh, that. Well, that's exactly right. And, in fact, that's why, you know, for me being a singer, too, it's really important that I um, – always give my all on a demo because I go into it thinking that very thing. Well, I'm not going to be half-assed on this because, you know, I might need these producers to, um, to maybe they may want to have me do the song or have a bigger involvement in the song. And so it's very funny. There's a, an artist named Ella from, uh, Latvia. She's like a Latvian pop star, as I was mentioning. 
meeting, working in Europe a lot. And so her people had approached me about doing like a Lady Gaga, Akon sort of thing back like 10 years ago, nine years ago. And I took that demo seriously. I wrote a rap part. I, I wrote a rap part for myself. I went in and, and put all these layers of background vocals behind her. And then I did, you know, so it ended up being... Ella featuring Corey Andrews, <laughs> <laughs> and they were, you know, I ended up, honey, I ended up on that record, okay, on Universal. Excellent. Yes. So, you know, you and you—that's why you have to give it your all. And I hate to work with singers who say things like, "It's a red flag for me." Um, well, they just fixed that in the mix. Oh, mm. honey, mm. if you can't sing, I'm gonna need mm. you to go and get a job at the post office yeah. and keep it moving. Yeah. Okay, because that's not we don't do that. I don't even I don't mess with auto tune. <laughs> I don't need it. So about putting forth your best your best efforts. I mean, I'm and I'm forgiving if it's a broadcast situation maybe because you know the voice is the voice is the voice, right? So you can go give your best and sometimes you know you might have an audio issue that makes you sing flat or sharp or you might not know. So I mean, I'm more forgiving except for that abysmal thing that um and I love her. I'm And I know where you're going right now. Yeah. Okay, so we won't have to say yeah. the name. But and that that was a lack of there was like she almost looked on like disinterested in being there. That's right. different, right? Not prepared, um, not interested, not prepared, and you know, claiming that you know she didn't have her hot tea, girl, please. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> so people can just look that up. I ain't gonna say no name. Hey, everyone will know. <laughs> everyone will know. But you know, so the whole thing is like you know, in those situations, where I get it with live broadcast. But yeah, when you're trying to do your best in a studio to record a product that's going to be a, a you know a, an audio product. That idea about fixing it in a mix is really not the best the best work ethic I would put I would say to put forth. So that's not how I do things. <laughs> I just have to say I love hearing about all that you do because one more reference to Billy Porter. One of his favorite things he ever said, uh, referring another friend of mine, and I just think it applies to you is you've got to love a do-it-yourself bitch because okay. you cannot yeah. wait for people to make the way in the world. And Corey Andrew and Randy Slavacic, you've got to build your own way and you've got to do everything that you do. And if it's music and if it's writing and if it's interviewing and handling the red carpet, all these different things that you do so well, you've got to do it yourself. And yeah, I remember all of the above. All of the above. And you do it so well. So that's why I really wanted to talk to you because ever since you came on with Insing, I'm like, we should have a chat. But thank you so much for having time and sharing all this with me. And I'll be seeing you in the chat room. And we thank God you are part of Instinct. So I just have to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being there. Thanks for doing the Randy Report. Muchly appreciated. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. And uh, it's a long overdue, of course, as well. And yes, I'm actually going to, when we disconnect here, I'm going to go and you know, scour the web and see what kind of fun stories I can bring this weekend. But before I do go, and uh, and thank you for this opportunity, I will say one other thing, and you know that we, we had this discussion. You know that as someone who I am obsessed with, who you happen to know, a woman <laughs> from Australia. Yes, Miss Olivia. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to say the irony of that, you know, someone, <laughs> I would meet someone randomly who happens to know Olivia Newton-John, like, oh my so I was like so amazed that you told me you knew her. But anyway, I just had to put that out there. I do have to say I love that you had that reaction because my husband has been her publicist now. He's been working with her for uh, just about 20 years it seems. 
they're about to do a big celebrity auction of the black leather jacket and black pants. Oh, yeah, that's right, honey. I check. I didn't have enough money to bid on it, <laughs> but I'll check my account. <laughs> well, check the coins and see. And she was. She's always planned on doing this. They contacted Julian's, which is a big celebrity auction house, and they said we can turn this into a big thing. And so now she's gone back and she's found dresses and gowns she's oh worn in concerts and stuff from all over the years in movies. So it's going to be a big celebrity auction. And what they're going to do, though, is it's going to happen in late fall. But they're taking an exhibit of the costumes to this very famous costume museum in Dublin. And it's going to be there oh, for six wow. weeks. Then they're going to take the exhibit to Australia. And this is all to raise buzz for the auction. All of the proceeds from the auction will go to help the Olivia Newton-John Cancer Wellness and Research Center in Melbourne, Australia. Did you notice how I said that right? I didn't say Melbourne, like when I'd say <laughs> Melbourne, Florida. When you're in Australia, you say Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay. Melbourne. Yeah, no R. The, the hospital's there, and it's all for that. Wow. No, that's amazing. So that's not going to come to New York at all? The, the it's not. Yeah. It's going to be Aww. in Dublin, Australia, and L.A. right before the actual auction. But I love that when I mentioned to you, I'm so used to people saying, oh, I love her, and then it kind of dies down. But I no, mentioned no, no. to you that I knew Olivia, and you really are a Honey, real, yeah. real fan. Yeah, I almost like lost my, you know what, when you said, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and you know, and just, just to wrap that up, it's just because you know how people have – you, people have a, a connection with artists that it's really specific to them. So, for example, this is not to be shady, but like, you know, if someone said to me right now, Beyonce was one of the biggest stars on the planet, they're like, okay, well, we have an opportunity for you to have lunch with Beyonce or Olivia Newton John. I'm like, Beyonce, girl, I'll see you later. Me and Livy, <laughs> me and Livy got to go have a couple, <laughs> a couple slices of pizza, honey, and have a little talk. <laughs> like, you know, it would be like just someone who really, for my life, is just has been a beacon of, of of musical light. I mean, I sang to all her albums. I trained my voice to my higher register to a lot of her beautiful soprano. I mean, you know, my mom and and I had this wonderful connection with her. So she's just a part of the fabric of my my life. So you know, in any event, it was important for me to make sure that I said that to you because uh, I thought perhaps it would just trickle back and get to Miss Girl Oh, yes. It, it, so. it has gotten back to Miss <laughs> Olivia. I told good, her she was good, so good. charmed by that. She's like, really? You know, I have to... The great thing about Olivia, and this is what I always tell people, is she's exactly what you hope she'll be. And as you yeah. know, so many celebrities are not. Oh, and that's, that's, that's going to be on our next conversation. That's our next, and we're going we're gonna to have to catch up and compare notes on that because it's so true. But Olivia really is exactly who you want her to be. I think the first time I went to her house, we were doing something with her uh, about press, and she was about to go on tour. And Michael and I were at her computer, and the next thing you know, she said, boys, dinner's ready. And, like, she had just made dinner and we weren't oh. staying for dinner, but we stayed for dinner Okay. <laughs> at, yeah. at Livy Newton-John's house. And she's just I mean, just wow. the most um, down-to-earth person. I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I have a funny thing with Olivia because she wants to expand my food horizons. Mm. And so because I'm from Texas and I'm kind of like a meat and potatoes guy. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, Randy, oh, no, you have to try this or try that. We'll be in restaurants. She's like, try this. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. <laughs> and, you know, I am oh, so God. not so many things. But, like, if Olivia Newton-John is putting this in front of you, you are going to honey, try this yeah. food. Yes, honey. She could put, like, Sargo <laughs> with, like, hot sauce and peanut butter on it. I'm like, mm, this is mm. delicious, Lynn, oh, darling. can't wait to have yeah. it. Can I get the recipe? <laughs> Grumptious. No, believe me. So I long for that opportunity. Oh my so god! So we'll, we'll, 
Well, please, you know, uh, like I said, I appreciate it. Just let her know how much I love her again. And I will, when I share uh, this Randy report, I'm going to also make sure that I tag your wonderful interview you did with her and make sure people can go and make sure they discover oh, that. That was like you. a few months ago, right? You did that as yeah. well. Yeah, when her yeah. book came out here in the U.S., her, her yeah. uh, memoir, which was so interesting to me because I'd never listened. I, I don't have time to read books. I wish I did. I get so many pitches from publicists about LGBTQ-themed books and novels, yeah. and I would love to, but I don't have time. So I actually listened to my first audiobook. It was Olivia's autobiography, Driving to L.A. and Back to Las Vegas, to hear the artists themselves tell their own story in their own voice. Oh, gosh. So it's her. She's actually okay. – She so does the audiobook. Me. Yeah. And so, oh, wow. so you get a lot of inflection and tone, and you get a lot of subtext about what she's really saying. So if you, if you have not done an audiobook, and if you, hmm. if you haven't, start with Olivia's. Oh, uh, gosh, yes, that's going to be, yeah, no, totally, that's going to be, because uh, I've never done one before. You so. know, you get on the, you listen to a chapter on your way into the city when you're taking the PATH train or something from New Jersey or the subway, and really cool way to do it. Anyway, we could go on and on. Thank you yes, so much, Corey, okay. for this chat. I yes, just think you're you, awesome, Rachel. and we will be doing this again soon. All right, my friend, I love you and appreciate the opportunity, so you have a wonderful day. Love you back. Have a great one. Okay, bye-bye. When I initially asked Corey to take part in an episode for the Randy Report podcast, I said, we'll chat, oh, about 15 or 20 minutes. As you can see, the conversation took on a life of its own. I want to remind you to check the show notes for a link to find Corey's music on Spotify, or you can just search for Corey Andrew on the streaming platform. And make sure you look for his terrific writing on instinctmagazine.com. And that brings me to the end of this episode of the Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share the Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. Usually. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com and instinctmagazine.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.